0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We We believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you for each person who is here, who's carved out space in their lives uh, to be here today. Uh, We come because, uh, not just because we just want to sing a few songs um, and hear what I have to say, but we want to meet with you. We want to hear from you, Jesus. We want to have an encounter with you. Um, And so I pray that right now, through your Holy Spirit, that you would use this scripture, which we know is active and living, and you would work it deep into our hearts. And that you would use this to transform us more and more into your likeness. That this would be something, God, we know that is for our good and your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Earlier this week, I heard a story about revivalist John Wesley. Uh, God used John Wesley to awaken the city of London. Uh, spiritually in such a way that his work is still having spiritual ramifications in people's life all over the world and this story is not about John Wesley's leadership it's about his personal life and as the story goes uh, one day this man came up to Wesley he was riding on a horse and he said Mr. Wesley Mr. Wesley your house has just burnt to the ground which in fact it had his house had just burnt down and he lost everything And everyone around kind of stopped what they were doing and they fixed their eyes on John Wesley who responded with this. Correction, my house is not burnt to the ground. The Lord's house has burnt to the ground. That's just one less thing for me to have to worry about. That's a real story that happened to a real person. And in response to this, author... Randy Alcorn, who wrote the book The Treasure Principle and several others, he says this, Wesley's reaction that day did not spring from a denial of reality, but from the most basic reality, that God is the owner of all things and we are simply his stewards. Psalm 24.1, the psalmist says the following. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, every single thing that you have in your life right now is on loan from God to you. The food we eat is God's food. The drink we drink is God's drink. The house we live in is God's house. The air we breathe, that is God's air. And as those created in God's image, we are called to steward the resources he has given us in a way that actually reflects his generosity to the world around us. And this is where the problem comes in. Because as comedic actor Will Rogers once put it, <clears throat> too many people spend money they do not have to buy things they do not need to impress people they don't even like. And nearly 100 years later, I think his analysis is truer today than ever before. Listen to some of these stats. I, think I can put some on the screen for you. According to the most recent report from the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, Americans' total credit card balance has now climbed over $1 trillion for the first time in our nation's history. This is in large part because we spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods. What does that mean? It means stuff that we just don't need. There are 300,000 items in the average American home, and as a result, despite the fact that the size of our homes have nearly tripled over the last 50 years, the U.S. Department of Energy reports that one in every four Americans are unable to park their car in their garage. While one in ten other Americans have to rent an off-site storage space for all of their stuff. By the way, we have so much storage space in America that we could literally sleep every man, woman, and child in our nation under the total canopy of self-storage roofing. Here's one for you ladies. The average American woman owns 30 outfits. That is one for every day of the month. While in 1930, that figure was only nine outfits. And then here's one for Christmas sake. 3.1% of the world's children live in America, but they own 40% of the toys that are consumed globally. Needless to say, I think that rather than reflecting the image of a generous God who is spreading life to others, many of us instead look like childish consumers who are hell-bent on getting whatever I want, whenever I want, even if it means that I'm going to neglect the real needs of those around me. And because this is such an issue, not just for people out there, but even for people in here we need to once again listen to the words of John the Baptist. This Advent character whose sole purpose in life was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Uh, everything that John said and everything that he did pointed to Jesus. He, he, was, he, he existed to, to help us prepare our hearts for the work that God wants to do in our life. And if you were to sum up John's message in just one word, it would be this. Repent change your mind change your perspective change how you are viewing god yourself and the world around you and in response to this when the crowd heard john's words they responded with the question in verse 10 you see it here they asked the question what shall we do then john had just called a bird of vipers He had just said, hey, the axe is at the root of the tree and God is ready to chop down anybody who is not bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. And upon hearing this stinging rebuke, they ask, well, then what do we do? And John's response is shocking to say the least. He says, here's what you do. If you have two shirts, you give one away. And you should do the same with your food. And don't take more money than you need and be content with what you have. And I don't know about you either. That's not what I expected John to say. I did not expect John to talk about possessions. I expected him to talk about prayer. That's how you prepare your heart for the work God wants to do. I didn't expect him to say, to talk about how much food you have, but how much faith you have. And the reason I didn't expect that is because like many Americans, I tend to forget something that is clear in the Bible, and it is this reality. You cannot separate your repentance from your riches. As Jesus says it in Matthew 6:21, "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Tim Keller says, "You want to see what someone's God is? Look at what their money flows towards most effortlessly. Want to know what you worship? Look at your wealth. You want to know, like do, am I truly someone who has trusted God? Well, it's not so much about what you say with your mouth, it's about how you handle your money. That is the true measure, oftentimes, of whether someone is actually a follower of Jesus or not. And because that is true, if you've not already picked up on it this morning, I'm going to talk about everybody's favorite topic, which is the topic of money. Isn't it true that we love to talk about how everybody else spends their money? But very few of us like to talk about how we spend our money. And so I want to start, actually, the message today with an apology. I want to say I'm sorry. And I'm not sorry because I'm talking about money. I'm sorry because so often I avoid the topic of money. Now, I look back over the last 11 years, and I have preached roughly 385 sermons. By my calculations, only six of those have been specifically designed to talk about your money and your possessions. So only 2% of my sermons have been about this topic. And if you're like, that sounds good to me, well, it actually sounds really convicting to me. Because when you read the Bible, it's clear that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else. Jesus talked about money three times more than he talked about love. He talked about money seven times more than he talked about prayer. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven, hell, or eternity. Of his 39 parables, 17 of them were about money. Which means 25% of the time that Jesus' mouth was open, he was talking about money. And so if you're here and you're like, Jared, I wish you were so much more like Jesus... Well, if that was true, I would teach on money one out of every four Sundays. And as a way of repenting and kind of walking out my own repentance, that's what I'm going to talk about today. And if you're already kind of finding yourself getting a little bit nervous, like quick, babe, like like grab the card, like hide it, you know, like put your wallet up, all right? I want you to know today, my goal is not, my goal is not to motivate you with guilt, but with grace. I have learned that guilt does get results. You can guilt people into giving. I don't want to motivate you with guilt. I don't just want to get results. I want to see revival in the hearts of our people so that like John Wesley, we truly can begin to live with the joy and the freedom that a life of generosity brings. Does that make sense? And so to help us get there, I want you to turn with me actually over to Luke chapter 19. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And just to set the context for you, Jesus has just finished meeting with the rich young ruler. In Luke chapter 18, right, the passage that we looked at last week, and if you need a reminder of what happened, a a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Sell all you owe, give it to the poor, follow me, then you'll have riches in heaven. To which the man responded, it said, by walking away sorrowful. Why? Because he had a lot of money. He loved his money more than he loved the Messiah. And so he missed out on this life. And in response to this, you don't have to, to read this uh, for yourself. I'll put it on the screen for you, maybe. Actually, no, I don't think I will. I'll just read it to you out loud. Luke eighteen twenty four. Jesus said this. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard asked, well, then who can be saved? And in verse 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Here's why I share that. What we're about to see in Luke 19 is the camel go through the eye of a needle. We're about to see a rich man enter into the kingdom of God. We're about to see the impossible, or what is man calls impossible, God make possible. Because what we're about to see is this young man, this young, rich, young ruler like Zacchaeus give his life to Christ. And here's how the story goes. If you look with me in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, if you remember from the Old Testament, Jericho was the city that Israel had to conquer in order to inherit the land that God had promised. And so all throughout the Bible, you need to know this. Jerusalem is considered the city of God. Jericho is considered a city of sin. It's a place of dysfunction. It represents the obstacle between God, between the people and the life they want to experience with God. But notice, here is Jesus, the Son of God, and He is doing what? He is entering into Jericho. He is entering into the city of sin. And that is significant because for some of you this morning, you think you have sinned so bad that God is just sitting back and shaking His head in disappointment at you. That God is sitting back from a distance and he's looking at you with disappointment. But you need to know today, like the God of the Bible does just not sit back and kind of wag his finger at you. The whole reason we celebrate Christmas is because rather than God kind of, you know, standing back in disgust, he came to this earth. He left a perfect place in heaven and he moved right into our broken, dilapidated neighborhood. It's on the wrong side of the tracks. And he did this through the person of Jesus. Rather than God sitting back with condemnation in his eyes, he moved towards us with compassion in his heart. That's what's behind verse 1. Jesus entered into Jericho and was passing through. Verse 2, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, every single detail in that verse is important. To be a tax collector was a ruthless job. Uh, If you were a tax collector, people hated you. Because if you were a tax collector, basically, you had betrayed your own Jewish people to go and work for the Roman government. You were now taxing your family and your friends beyond what they could pay so you could pad your own pockets. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, but notice, he's not just a tax collector. He's a... Chief tax collector. He is the kingpin of the Jericho cartel. He is the leader of tax collectors. And it says he is wealthy. So he has been playing this crooked game for a long time. This is not a good dude. This is a bad man. And he is filthy, rich in every sense of the word. And therefore, everybody hates Zacchaeus. Everybody but apparently Jesus. Because look what happens next. It says that he, talking about Zacchaeus, this rich young ruler, wanted to see who Jesus was. Why do you think he wanted to see who Jesus was? Because he realized that his wealth cannot satisfy. He is filled with luxury. He is stuffed. But he is not fulfilled. His, pa- his pockets are full, but his heart is empty. And therefore, like the rich young ruler in Luke 18, he goes looking for Jesus. This renegade rabbi who has on offer this abundant life for all who trust him. So he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord. He wanted to see. So when I think of Zacchaeus, I think of Kevin Hart. (laughs) Or another person in my mind is Danny DeVito. right? Uh, He's a short, wee little man, and he can't see Jesus because of the crowd. Now let me ask you this. Why didn't he just say, excuse me, can I stand in front? You know, like when you're taking a picture, the tall people in the back, short people in the front. Why didn't he do that? Because nobody would let this man in front of him. Again, this just shows how hated he is. He knows better than to ask. Do you mind if I just stand in front of you, please? He knows better. He's been robbing these people for years upon years upon years. And so rather than going and standing in front of them, he decides to climb a tree. And think about how humiliating this would be. Zacchaeus, guys, again, he is the chief tax collector in the richest city in Jerusalem. So this isn't just your run-of-the-mill rich guy. This is like like somebody sitting at the top of the tallest building or skyscraper in Manhattan. Like imagine Elon Musk climbing a tree. right? Imagine. like Like this is an incredible act of humility and desperation on the part of Zacchaeus. And look what happens next as a result. In verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What a picture of grace. This man has done nothing but rob, steal, cheat, hurt, and betray everyone around him. And in this moment, Jesus says to him, hey, I see you and I want you to come down. And he says, I want you to come down. Notice, immediately. You see the urgency in this. Some of you have been waiting to go all in on Jesus. You've been thinking, i got to clean my life up first. I've got to get rid of this sin. I've got to get my questions answered. I've got to figure out this thing. And Jesus says to you today, "Today, don't wait. Don't put this off. Come down right now. This is what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. Come down immediately because I want to go stay at your house. And so in verse 6, Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed him, welcomed him gladly. How do you know if you've met the real Jesus? There's going to be joy in your life. There's going to be gladness in your heart. That's what we see right here. But if you notice in verse 7, not everybody's happy. Not everybody's glad because of what's happened here. In Verse 7 it says, All the people in the crowd, they saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the kiss of a sinner? You see, in, in this culture, to go into someone's home and to share a meal with them, which is what Jesus would often do with sinners, it was unthinkable to the religious people because to share a meal with somebody was an incredible act of intimacy. It was to say, hey, I accept you. I love you. Like, like, like sharing a meal was something you only did with your family and your friends. But guys, this is a great picture right here of the Christian life. What you need to understand today is more than God is concerned about your rules, He's concerned about the relationship. God wants communion with you. He wants intimacy with you. Like He wants to provide a space for you to be fully known, belong, and be loved for all eternity. And the scandalous good news of the gospel is that you do not have to do anything to earn a spot at the table of God. You don't have to clean yourself up first. I mean, Zacchaeus, we see here, this guy is a wreck. He is, this, he is as bad as bad gets. He is the last person, I'm telling you, he is the last person you would ever think that a holy man like Jesus would want to hang out with. And yet isn't it true, as we see over and over in the Bible, that those that we look down on are often the very ones that God wants to build his kingdom with. And so while all these religious people are grumbling, the sinful tax collector is slipping into heaven. And he is now receiving the abundant life in Christ that he has been searching for, that money and possessions could not give him. And as a response, look at this in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, 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 hear, and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Notice, by the way, Jesus didn't command him to do that. This just came out of an overflow of his own heart. And when Jesus saw this transformation take place, he just said, look, today salvation has come to this house. This man, too, is the son of Abraham. And I love this final line, Jesus speaking of himself. So the son of man came for this very purpose, to seek and save the lost. There's so many different places I could go after reading texts text like this. But here's just what I want to do. I just want to ask you a question. I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. So only you can answer this for yourself. Has the real Jesus come to your house? Has the real Jesus come to your house? In other words, have you, like Zacchaeus, opened up your heart to Jesus? Have you received him truly as both Lord and Savior? And if you're like, hmm, I don't know, like, how can I know? Well, according to scriptures, one of the best indicators of whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus is by looking at your relationship with money. So often, we want to bank our assurance on the words we pray with our mouth. But notice according to the Scriptures, assurance is not found in words, prayers, or your mouth. It's found in wealth, possessions, and money. Robert Murray McShane says it like this, The more you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you, the more generous you will become. I fear there are many hearing me who now know they are not Christian because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. I woke up this morning and the low-pressure uh, light came onto my dashboard, which is an indicator that something is wrong. One of the greatest indicators of something is wrong in your life is how you handle your money. Your money is an indicator on your spiritual dashboard to show you what is really going on beneath the surface. The truth is, generosity grows in the soil of grace. And if you have become a recipient of God's grace, you want to become a participant of God's grace. What God has done in you He will begin to do through you, which means you will, if you've really encountered the real Jesus, will increasingly become a person of generosity rather than kind of walking around and saying, hey, excuse me, pastor, how little can I give and still get to heaven? The question is, how much can I give so that others can experience the kingdom of heaven here on earth? And... and. and you know, maybe for some of you you hear a story like this and you're like, Well, what exactly does this mean? Like what does this look like? Like what like practically, kind of like what they asked John, like, like what is it that Jesus is asking of me to give? And I think this is something you're gonna to have to sort out with him, but from the best I can see in scripture, there are at least three places that we're all called to give. Three places. And that is I think I can put it on the screen for you, we're called to give to the poor. Like we see right here, we're called to give to the household of faith and we're called to give to the church for the purpose of leadership and equipping. And I, before we end today, just want to say a very quick word on each. And so if you're taking notes first, in response to the grace we have already received in Christ, we need to be a people who give to the poor. When you read the Bible, it is clear that God has a huge heart for the poor. After God saves Israel out of slavery in Egypt and brings them to the Red Sea, one of the first things he does is he establishes this thing called gleaning. They lived in an agrarian society, the Israelites, and they made their money from their farms. And he says, look, after you put your blood, sweat, and tears into getting this harvest, make sure you do not pull anything off the outer edges, that you leave it all for the poor so that they can eat from it freely as they need in today's daily scripture reading in the church calendar, it's Isaiah 61.1, where Isaiah says that Jesus came to bring good news to who? The poor. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, I mean, it's as clear as can be, whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done it for me. God has a heart for the poor, which means if you have a heart like God's, you have a heart for the poor. For the last, of the least, in the loss of society. And I got to see a great picture of this just a couple of weeks ago. We have a member of our church who's a freshman in college. And after hearing the, the sermon that I preached from Matthew 25 and talking about the Advent challenge, he came to my house and he showed up and he said, hey, I just got a $50 bonus check from my, my work. And he said, I want to give it to you. He goes, I don't have anything else in my bank account, but I have everything I need. And I trust God will take care of me. And I just want to give this to you so that you can give it to a family that is in need. It's a great picture. Of the gospel, because what does the gospel tell us? Paul says in Romans, or I'm sorry, in Second Corinthians, chapter eight, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by your so through his poverty we might become rich. That's the gospel. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That Jesus left a perfect place in heaven, and he chose. Think about this: to be born into poverty. He gave up his riches so that we who are poor in spirit can become rich in him. You see, like Zacchaeus, Jesus, after being born as a baby, he became a man. And he also, like Zacchaeus, climbed up a tree. But he didn't climb up a sycamore tree. He climbed up a cross. And he climbed up the cross not just so that he could see you. He climbed up that cross so that he could save you. When you and I had nothing to give, God gave us his very best in Christ. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can be fully fulfilled in Him. And when that settles into your heart. When you realize that I had nothing to give God and He gave me His best. You cannot do anything other than what we see right here with Which is not out of guilt, but out of grace. Say, I want to do likewise for others. Which means I want to bless those who can in no way bless me back in return. So we give to the poor. Secondly, we are called to give to the household of faith. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. Paul says, so as we have every opportunity, let's do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. What that means is before we take care of everyone out there, we should have enough in our budget to take care of people in here. John says this in 1 John 3, 16 through 18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Amen? Amen. And we ought to lay down our lives for other brothers and sisters. Oh, we should have stopped at the other verse. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's a kind of rhetorical question. Basically, his point is like, it can't be. Dear children, let us not just love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So we are to do good for the household of faith, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thirdly, we are called to give to the local church for the purpose of equipping and leadership. This is where the tithe comes in. And tithe simply means to give away 10% of your income. It means to trust that God can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. And just so you know, as far as I can tell, the only place in Scripture where God tells us to test Him is around the tithe. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Talking about the temple, talking about giving it to the priest. That there may be food in my house, test me in this, the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So maybe you're like, wait a minute, is this like a prosperity gospel verse? Is this saying that if I tithe, God will give me more money? It could mean that. I think it really could mean that. I think of uh, Rick Warren, who is is incredibly wealthy, millionaire. And he says that he believes the reason God blessed him with the number one book sale like of all time, the Purpose Driven Life, is he said because God knew what I would do with the money. Rick Warren, I don't know if you knew this, he practices literally what's called the reverse tithe. He keeps ten percent for himself and gives ninety percent away. He's like, I think God knew that that's what I do with the money, so He blessed me in that way. So it could mean that. But I think more times than not, more than it means a material blessing, I think it means a spiritual, an emotional, relational blessing. You know, I've told you before, Tyler Staten is a pastor who has influenced me a a lot in my life, especially around the areas of generosity and simplicity. And I heard him tell a story last week about a time where God laid on him and his wife's heart um, just this desire to give to the church $25,000, which he said they did not even have in their bank account at the time. He's the pastor of the church, and he said, "I really feel God called us like to get twenty five thousand to the church," and so he did. So we're going to trust God. And things quickly began to unravel after that. COVID hit. Uh, They had to put their son in preschool, and it was way more expensive than they thought it was going to be. Uh, They began to struggle to pay their bills. They had to downsize their apartment. They already had a small two bedroom apartment. Had to downsize that. And he said, "But in the process, what happened is I began to lose some of my faith in my own church, or in the church." And it's what happened is I began to see people come out and provide for us in incredible ways. People began to help pay some of our bills and make sure we had enough to eat. He said, In the process, God built in me a faith like I had never had before for him and his local church. And so sometimes it's a material thing he's want to do, but sometimes it's way deeper than that. And if you hear that and you're like, Well, Jared, the Bible never actually commands us in the New Testament to tithe. Like I see it in the Old Testament, but I don't see it in the New Testament. Well, you need to read a little bit closer. Because though you're not necessarily commanded to give in the New Testament, it's sure expected by Jesus. This is Matthew 23, verse 23, right into it, talking to the Pharisees. It says, Woe to you, teachers and law of the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, deal, and cumin. And so remember, it's in a grand society. So it's saying you tithe 10% of your income, but you've neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And look at this. You should have practiced the latter. You should have tithed, but without neglecting the former. And so when you read the scriptures, it's clear, guys, Jesus does not lower the bar of generosity. He raises it. He says, you should keep tithing, but you should do more than that. You should also meet the needs of those around you. And why? Why does Jesus call us to do this? Well, one, it reflects the image of a generous God, but also, and I've become more and more convinced of this in the American church, one of the greatest barriers to God's grace is our greed. I want to be very clear. God is pouring out his love on each of you right now. No matter what you've done with your money. God is pouring his love out on you right now. But it is really hard to receive the free gift of God's love when we're living with his closed fist around our stuff. And therefore, as a way of freeing up our hearts from the deceit of riches while also reflecting his generosity to the world around us, he calls us to give to the poor, to the household of faith, and to the church for the purpose of leadership and equipping. And here's my greatest fear as we end the day. Look, I understand. I know this is not a fun message. I get it. You don't want to hear it. I don't want to preach it, okay? But here's my biggest fear there are some of you who are not going to do anything I just said because you're suspicious of people like me. You know, we live in a society that is so suspicious of any kind of authority. And I think a big part of that is because on social media, we always hear about, like, all the negative stuff that leaders do. We don't hear about, like, you know, all of the amazing stuff they do, it's just like, here's this, here's that. So we're always suspicious, like, teachers, coaches, principals, right, you name it, pastors, presidents, it's always like, they they, they must have some hidden agenda here. Like, I bet Jared just went to, like, try to get people more money so he can, like, you know, get a beer Christmas bonus or, or, or whatever it may be, or, you know, like... And my biggest fear, man, is just this, that you're going to miss out on the life Jesus has for you because maybe you don't trust me or the leaders of the church or whatever it may be. And here's just what I want to say to you. If you can't do that here because of of mistrust you have with me or somebody else in the church, find somewhere where you can do this. Like this ultimately is not what's being asked of you today to live a life of generosity. This is not about me. It's not about this church. This is about your relationship with Jesus himself, the one who alone can save you and satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And that is the invitation today. The invitation for some of you maybe is, is maybe for the first time you're realizing, man, like, if this really is true, that that where my treasure is, my heart is, if, like, well, you know, if my wealth determines what I worship... If if I want to know who my God is, not based off what I say with my mouth, what I do with my money, the reality is, yeah, I don't know if I really have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's where some of you are right now. And here's the good news. Jesus says in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone would answer, I would come in and dine with him. No matter how greedy you've been, no matter how stingy you've been, no matter how far you feel like your heart has been from God... God is not far from you. Maybe for some of you right now, today is the day of salvation. And I pray that you will, rather than giving anything away, that first you would just receive the free gift of God's love that is poured out for you through Christ. For others in here, if you have already received that gift, I want to encourage you today to respond as we do each week through communion. And I'm going to go ahead and invite the communion servers to come up, but if even if you're not a member of our church here We need this reminder that before God ever asks us to give anything to Him, He has given us everything through His Son, Jesus. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, here's the way this works. We're going to have communion service here. We'll tear off a piece of bread for you, which represents the perfect life of Christ. It'll be dipped in the juice, which represents His blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We also have a gluten-free option over here if you want that, kind of a self-serve over here in the corner. But again, if you're a Christian, come and receive this. And then in response of worship, if you're a Christian, we give back to God. And there are four ways that we can give as a church. You can text to give, you can give online, you can give in person, you can give in an app. And again, all of this is in response to what God has already given to us. It's a way that we free our hearts from the deceitfulness of wealth. And we reflect the generosity of God to the world around us. And if you want, we'll also have Nikki back here. Uh, who will be praying. I, for if any of the ladies would like to go back and receive prayer, you could do that. I'll be up here. If some of you want to come and receive prayer for me, I would love to pray over. If there's someone here it's like, man, I want next steps. I want to know like, what does it look like to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to, to go all in on Him. I would love to help you process that as well. With that, let's stand together. I want to pray for us. And then you can respond as you need. Father, I do thank you so much for everyone who is here. I thank you so much for giving us your word. Even hard words like this, which I know, God, are really all about your grace. It's your grace because it helps us to, to evaluate our hearts. I think about the Apostle Paul's word who tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To not be flippant. And so this is one of those messages that doesn't allow us to be flippant. I pray that, God, rather than comparing ourselves to those around us, that we would just talk to you right now, that each person, where they are, would just say, Jesus, what would you ask me to do? What do you want me to do? What's the next right step, Jesus? I pray that, God, that we would see you as you really are. That, like Zacchaeus, we'd be so blown away by your grace, by your mercy, by your love, that from out of that place... We would begin to live with freedom like John Wesley. But we would no longer hold on to the things of this world with such tight fists. That we would live open-handed, generous lives. And that we would do this in a way, God, that, that brings us great joy and joy to those around us. If there's anybody here who does not have a personal relationship with you, God, if maybe you help them to see that today, that that they have a a religious version of you or a counterfeit version of you, but they don't know the real you, I pray that that today they would know no matter who they are or what they have done. They don't have to sit in shame. They don't have to sit in guilt. All they have to do is receive you with the empty hands of faith. And they can know that because of what you've accomplished, through your life, death, and resurrection, they can be fully forgiven and loved for all eternity. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.